we are in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14 this morning. We, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark for the past few weeks, or a number of weeks actually, and we're coming to the end. As you know, uh, we started looking at the last week of Jesus' life just a few chapters ago. We've gotten to what's known widely as Passion Week, and Jesus has entered Jerusalem. We've gone through Palm Sunday, and it's kind of the middle to the end of the week now, and it's coming up on the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and we have this amazing story, this event that happens in Jesus' life that is unlike any event that has ever been in the Gospels before. And it's unique in this way. Jesus says, wherever the Gospel is taught, what this lady has done will be taught along with it. So it's a very special event. That's the only event that Jesus says that. It's very special. And so let's look here in Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. After two days, it was the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. So first you have Passover, and then you have a festival that follows the festival of unleavened bread. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a treacherous way to arrest and kill him. Not during the festival, they said or there may be rioting among the people. So the chief priests and the scribes are still upset that Jesus is coming in. He's disturbing what they think is the right way. He's taking away from everything they've ever known. And he comes in and he, he's preaching the kingdom of God, and he's preaching these things that seem foreign to them because they've missed the point on a number of, of issues. They've become so married to their religion that they've lost the heart behind God's word. And so they, they're looking for a way to get rid of him. And they know that if they were to do it at this time, the city of Jerusalem is teeming with people. It's grown in this week before Passover from a small town of 50,000 to a town of close to half a million. And so they're looking for a way to get rid of Jesus, but they know they can't do it publicly because Jesus has a great following. I mean, he's fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. He's healed the sick, the blind, the lame. He's raised people from the dead. I mean, that's not the kind of guy that people just look at and say, ah, right? So he's got a following. He's got a group of people, a large number of people who are following him, so they have to do it secretly. And then we read this, that Jesus goes out of the city, and he goes to the small town of Bethany, just a little bit north and west of, of Jerusalem, and he's outside the city, and he's taking some time to relax. And we read this in verse 3. While he was in Bethany at the house of Simon, who had a serious skin disease, most of you would recognize the name Simon the leper. Other translations just say Simon the leper, and we'll talk about that in just a second. Simon, who had a serious skin disease, as he, Jesus, was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of pure, expensive, fragrant oil of nard. She broke the jar and poured it on his head. Now, Mark here is painting a picture for us, and there are some details that we don't get in the Gospel of Mark, but when we look at it in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of John, we get a little bit broader picture, and we know that this lady that's done this, John tells us, was Mary. We know this was Mary, and we know uh, that she was important in Jesus' life. Uh, this is Mary, the sister of Martha, the brother of Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And what Mark is doing here is he's painting a picture of Jesus coming to Simon the leper's house. Now, as I said, Simon the leper was a name, but there's a couple of things we need to know about Simon the leper. Um, first of all, if you were to tell someone, if they said, hey, where are you going for lunch after church? Well, I'm going to Simon the leper's house. 
they would say, uh, you've got to be kidding me. I don't think that's a very good idea. Right? So he's got this leprosy that would cause him to be an outcast. But the fact that the dinner is being hosted at his house indicates that he was present, which means something in his life has changed. He must no longer have leprosy. And it's believed that he was healed, most likely by Jesus. And after he was healed, he would have gone and presented himself through all the ritual uh, ceremonies that the Jewish law has. He would have presented himself to the priests and been declared clean. And he was able to go back into society. But this name, Simon the leper, stuck. It stuck. It's not a name that you would want to have, but this name stuck with him. Simon the leper. And I'm sure every time he heard that name, he was reminded of who he was and who he is now and how his life had been changed. Now, we don't get this directly from Scripture, but many scholars believe that Simon the leper was actually the father of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And there's a a number of reasons why they believe that, but there's enough evidence to think that that was the case. And it seems like pretty good evidence to me that she was there at his house, that she was there with him, that she was walking around and uh, just the connection that he has there with her. And so we have this story where she comes in and we read that Jesus is reclining at the table. And when he says reclining at the table, that indicates that Jesus is sitting in a way that indicates that he is the guest of honor, that this meal was thrown for him, that this is a special thing that's just for Jesus. And he's there at the head of the table He's reclining, and the crowd comes and and is gathered around. You can imagine the hustle and bustle of the big Passover festival going on in Jerusalem. All the people around, family is gathered. Everyone's sitting around the table talking about the things that they saw and did that day. And then we read that Mary comes in. She goes unnamed in Mark, but we know from the other Gospels that it was Mary. And she comes in, and probably no one thought anything of it at first, They think maybe she's coming to serve something or to clean something up. But as she walks over and gets closer to Jesus, they notice that she's carrying something. She's carrying this small alabaster jar. Now, the alabaster jar was a very special jar. It was made of hard minerals, and it was uh, kind of round on the bottom with a long, skinny neck. And the thing about the alabaster jar is that there was no cork, there was no screw on top, there was just this long skinny neck with a big round bottom, and it was made for one purpose. It could only be opened one time. The way you would open it would be to break the long skinny neck. And so Mary comes in, and she breaks the neck of the bottle. It can only be used one time, and inside we know that there was the oil of nard. It was a perfume that had been made. Nard is a very um, aromatic herb that would be pressed down and squeezed out. The oil would be squeezed out to make perfume. And this perfume in Jesus' day was used for only one purpose. And that purpose was preparing bodies that had died. And so what they would do is they would wipe this oil all over the body to keep it from smelling so terribly. And then they would wrap it with linens to keep the smell inside. And so as soon as she breaks that bottle, that fragrance would have filled the room. And the moment she poured it out, it would have been so strong that it would have been obnoxious. Kind of like the perfume counter at Dillard's, right? You just, you can't get away from it fast enough. It would have been an obnoxious smell. And everyone who was there would remember this event. 
right? You know how powerful smells are. Anytime I smell pumpkin pie, I'm immediately taken back to my mom's kitchen. And I'm nine years old again. Or if, I, if it's, uh, Amanda's making green beans with onions and bacon in it, I'm taken back to my grandmother's kitchen. And I'm five years old again. There's power in the smell. And so in the days to come, when Jesus is crucified, those that were present would remember what Mary had done. When he rises from the dead, they would remember what Mary had done. In the coming weeks, months, and years, the smell was so strong that they would never forget what Mary had done. She does a beautiful thing, and Jesus commends her for it. They would remember what Jesus said next. Verse 4 says this, But some were expressing indignation to one another. Why has this fragrant oil been wasted? For this oil might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they began to scold her. We don't know from the Gospel of Mark, but the other Gospels tell us that this was Judas. And 300 denarii was a year's wage. And so Judas begins to scold her. I imagine that there were others in the room who were thinking, I wish I had done something special. I wish I had done something big and extravagant for Jesus And now maybe their feelings are hurt because they didn't think of it, and so they stand up with Judas, and they begin to scold her. But listen to what Jesus does. Jesus says this in verse 6, Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. You will always have the poor with you, and you can do what is good for them whenever you want. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. Let me say that again. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. I assure you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the world, what this woman has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus rebukes them. Jesus rebukes them, and I imagine that they sat down having been put in their place, embarrassed. But I think that they were probably thinking that, you know what, Jesus loves the poor, so if I can get this angle on the poor in here, then maybe I'll get some favor with Jesus. They kind of misread the situation. And in fact, you you read what Jesus says, the poor you will always have with you, and it kind of seems uncharacteristic of who Jesus is. Yet he says, what's more important is what Mary has done. What Mary has done is a beautiful thing. She has done what she could. And one of the things that I want us to take away from this morning is that she did what she could. She did what she could. Mary was very important in Jesus' life. We know that she was one of his followers. She was with Martha uh, when, she, when they were serving Jesus. She was sitting at his feet. Her brother was raised from the dead, and her father had been healed from leprosy. She knew Jesus' life was coming to an end, and I imagine she was asking herself this question, how do I express my heartfelt love for this man who has done so much for me? Is there a gift that I can give that would be commensurate for the love, the amount of love that he has shown towards me and towards my family? And often we find ourselves asking that same question, is there a gift that we can give commensurate with the love that God has shown us? And i believe the answer is no. It's not possible. Yet Mary looks around her room at her meager possessions and she finds the one thing 
that would cost her the most, her 401k, a year's wage, and she takes it and she gives it to Jesus, and she pours it over his head. She doesn't just pour part of it, she pours the whole thing. She's all in. She goes all in for this one season of life. She's giving everything she has. She has done what she could. Now, I know, I think uh, moms have it harder than anyone else. I know it's not Mother's Day. That's not till next week. But let me just say this. I think in life, moms often have it harder than anyone else. And I think the internet is not helping that at all. Because if you read the internet, you see that there are moms who, it's like the expectation is that moms will have a blog, they will have an Etsy page, they will have something on Pinterest that they're selling or doing, they will have a job outside of the home, their kids will be neat and clean at all times, the house will be clean, mom will be fit, meals will be homemade from scratch, uh, gluten-free, non-GMO, organic, paleo, whatever, Uh, Mom's got to be marathon runner, you know, Miss Universe shape. And there's this ideal of what moms have to be out there that is just unreal. It's completely unreal. And so moms, I want you to hear this. She did what she could. She did what she could. Whether it's motherhood or fatherhood or your finances Maybe it's caring for your aging parents who are now in need of someone to look after them. Maybe it's the mess of your marriage or the mess of your life. Know this, Jesus commends her because she did what she could. And so my encouragement to you is that as you look back on your life, that it would be said of you that he did what he could or that she did what she could. Because there are seasons in our life and things are not always as they seem, because Jesus exposes this myth, what I think is one of the greatest myths that we have in our culture, which is the myth of balance, that life should be balanced, that everything can work together and everything can be proportioned equally the way that it needs to be. And what we see with Mary, what we see from Jesus, Jesus, is that Jesus knew that life comes in seasons. Life comes in seasons. So this was a season in Mary's life. The thing that she does, she couldn't do next week. She couldn't do a month from now. This was her moment to go all in and to give everything she had to the work of serving Jesus Christ. And so there are seasons in our life when God calls us to give disproportionately to one area, to one thing. For some of us, that's different. For each one of us, that's a little bit different. Uh, We're all in different stages of life. This past week, I started a new book called Spiritual Rhythms by Mark Buchanan. He's a pastor and an author, and I I love what he says about balance. He says this, Our age has its own cherished myths, and one of the most hypnotic is the myth of balance. Everyone seeks balance. Everyone longs for the magical combining of rest and play and work that once found will make life simple, elegant, Easy, balanced. Where is the perfect middle, they ask? The right proportion of duty and freedom. Church and job, neighbors and families, time for others and time for me. There is none. It is no more to be found than unicorns or perfect churches. There are only seasons, 
seasons for everything, and seasons are inherently imbalanced. He goes on and talks more about how the seasons are completely imbalanced. Where is the balance with the fantastic growth of spring? Where is the balance with the harshness and the coldness of winter? There's no balance there. There's no balance. I love what he says just a few pages later. He says, life is inherently wearying. Seasons are inherently unbalanced. The sooner we accept this, the less disappointed we will be. Life is inherently imbalanced. Jesus commends her for giving everything, for going all in, for not holding anything back for this one season in her life. This was her moment, and this was, there was one purpose, and she goes all in. Now, Amanda and I are in the season of life where we have young kids. I know many of you are there. You're in the season of life where when one of your kids picks a weed, a flower off of a weed, you cherish it as if it were ten dozen roses. When they hand it to you and say, Daddy, I picked this for you. Mommy, I picked this for you. Because in their eyes, this is a beautiful thing. We're in a different season of our life where life is inherently imbalanced. We are pouring into our kids as much as we can. I shared this morning at our prayer time before the service at 9.15, which you're all welcome to join us to every Sunday morning. We pray in the back at 9.15 for each service. You're welcome to join us there. But I shared about how we, pour, we are pouring into our kids. That is the most important thing that God has called us to during this season of our life. It's more important than this church. It's more important than anything other than our relationship with Jesus Christ in our marriage. Our kids are the most important thing, and so we're pouring into them. We're laying the foundation for them. And so our life is inherently unbalanced right now. But we know that the day is coming quickly when they will go off to college, and our life will seem to be in balance, and we will long for the days of unbalance when they pick a dandelion and hand it to you and say, Daddy, this is for you. That day is coming. Most of us, we seek to live our life in balance. We want to live our life according to the scales that look something like this, where you've got this perfect balance, you've got all the rocks weighing out. Unfortunately, life looks usually more unbalanced like this. Now, I was searching for pictures of unbalance, and I found this one, and I couldn't pass it up because often most of us live our lives a little bit more like this. Now, I won't make any comments about the type of animal that's up there, but often, perhaps, we find ourselves seeking for that balance, and we end up looking like a donkey. Or you can use the other name for donkey if you want to put that in there. But what we see from Jesus is that he commends her because she's done what she could. Jesus says, do what you can, when you can, and give it your all. There are different seasons of life, and there are going to be seasons in your life where God calls you to different things, and he calls you to give all that you have to that one area, disproportionately to the rest of your life. Mark Buchanan, the author of Spiritual Rhythm, is a pastor, author, and he encourages people to engage in the Word of God every single day. He encourages them to engage in their walk with God every single day as a part of rest. He encourages Sabbath. And he leads uh, 
leads a, a number of conferences every year on this idea of Sabbath. In almost every conference, he gets this one question. How does anyone rest when you have little kids? And he looks at the parent asking the question, and he says, what's your name? Steve. All right, Steve. You have young kids? Yeah. You getting much sleep? Not, not really. How old are your kids? Well, we've got one that's eight, one that's five, and one that just turned three. What are their names? And the dad, as he shares the names, begins to choke up because he just loves his kids so much. And Mark Buchanan begins to talk to the dad, and he says, Do you remember what Jesus said about the kingdom? How it's to be received? Like a child. And how are we to approach him like a child? So perhaps... Maybe God has got you going through this season with your children and he wants you to go all in on this one season of your life because that's how he wants to draw you closer to himself. He's drawing you in closer to himself through this one season. Now, as I said, every single one of us have different seasons that we're in. We have different seasons that God has called us to. And what I want to ask is what are you leaning into now? What are you leaning into right now? What season does God have you in that he would have you lean into that season and use it as a way to draw closer to him that he is using this season to bring you deeper into relationship with him, to live an inherently unbalanced life, going all into what it is that God has called you to do? What are you trying to balance that needs to set aside in the hope And setting aside that hope of balanced life, can you give up balance for the sake of giving everything you have to this one season? That's what Mary did. She lived completely unbalanced in that moment and gave everything she had to Jesus to honor him, to bring him glory. She did what she could. She lived out of balance, leaning into the moment that God had brought to her. The last thing that I want us to look at together is this. Extravagance is the natural response to God's profligate love. Extravagance is the natural response to God's profligate love. Say that with me. Profligate. Let's try it. Profligate. One more time. Profligate. All right. Use it three times and it's yours. So next week, moms, you can say, oh, children, what a profligate gift. Or when you sit down for lunch today, what a profligate hump of mashed potatoes there, right? Use it three times and it's yours. So God's profligate love, it means recklessly extravagant. God has given us recklessly his love. He's given recklessly to us. And so what is our response to that? It should be extravagance. We should seek to extravagantly extravagantly give back to God because of what he's given us. It's the natural response to be living a life that tells him thank you, that demonstrates our appreciation for what he's done for us. And what I want to ask you this morning is, what do you need to give God right now? What do you need to give God right now? That you could throw everything into the season that he has you in. That you would look around your heart, that you would look around your life, just as Mary looked around her room and found that precious gift that she gave to Jesus, 
as you look around your heart, as you look around your life, what is that one thing that you can give to Jesus? Maybe it's loving your neighbors. Going out of your way to love your neighbors. Maybe it's pouring into your children. Maybe it's pouring into your marriage. Maybe it's pouring into some of the teenagers here at River Rock Bible Church. Maybe you don't have teenagers of your own, but you want to pour into some kids. Maybe it's pouring into that coworker, caring for those parents that can no longer care for themselves. What is the season of life that God has you in that He is using to draw you closer? And what gift can you give that says, God, you've done so much for me. You've done so much for me. I want to go all in and give back to you. Even in this unbalanced season, Lord, I want to give back to you. What I'd like to do now is for us to take two. And you'll look inside your bulletin. You'll see there at the bottom, there's a spot that says take two. And this is an opportunity for you to ask that question, God, what would you have me give today? What in my life can I give in an unbalanced way to honor you? So I just ask you to take this time and pray and ask God to help you reveal what's in your heart. What is it that he might be calling you to do? And then right below that it says, I will. What are you going to do about it? What steps are you going to take this morning, this week, to go after the thing that he's called you to give? Let's take two. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the amazing love that you have given us, that you have healed us in so many ways, and the things that you have done for us. Lord, we pray that we would remember to do what we can, that there are going to be seasons of our life when we can give more to one area, and there are going to be seasons of life where we need to pull back. Lord, may we not feel guilty in those seasons. May we just go all in to the season that you've called us to, and honor you by giving extravagantly to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my friends uh, came up to me and just started sharing a little bit about what God was doing in his life and said, I I feel like I want to share this. I need to share this with the congregation um, based on this morning's message. And so I'm going to let you Go ahead and share. Just tell everybody who you are. Yep. I'm Tony. Uh, We live here in the village. Uh, My wife, right here, Lauren. We have a uh, 15-year-old son, a 12-year-old daughter. And um, we're from Cincinnati. And this morning during the sermon, I was, the Lord was speaking to me, um, which is great. And uh, it just reminded me of a couple years ago when we first moved to to Austin. Um, You know, I moved down here for work. And... Um, we were all in on that move and um, had everything kind of lined up the way that we thought it was. We thought we understood, you know, how to balance things out and, you know, live for the Lord and that kind of thing. And then um, work got real hard. And um, I I worked in Austin, so it was an hour drive there and an hour drive back. And uh, I, I managed an office and had all these employees and, you know, I was doing ministry inside my office and, you know, and then I had home life, um, starting to fall apart and, um, started to really wrestle with, 
balance and feel like I couldn't figure out, you know, one, you got to raise your family. You got to, you know, spend time with them. I've read parenting books and, you know, they sit, they talk about having a quiet time with your kids and doing all this stuff. And, but you know, you got to be at work. And, um, I just remember how, how it was just madness trying to figure that out. I felt like I was being unfaithful, but I didn't even know what that meant because I was, you know, doing what I needed to do to support my family. Um, but I couldn't be there. And so it was like, what do I do? How do I, you know, how do I balance this? And I just remember how, um, how just maddening it was, but it's not. And I think to this message today and to that scripture, that was, I think for Mary to do that, it was probably madness to her too, um, to figure out how to, how to make those decisions on where she was going to go all in. Um, for me, I remember think I told a pastor friend of mine from back in Cincinnati, I'm like, man, all those parenting books, I, I, I can't, I don't even understand them anymore because I can't, I don't, I can't spend all that time w- with my kids. I mean, and I think it is the best thing because I'm, you know, driving back and forth and doing all that. By the time I get home, it's eight o'clock. And I just remember how maddening it was. And that was a season <laughs> that passed. And, um, I don't know. I just felt like I needed to encourage some of the dads in here too, you know, and the moms, all the families that are trying to figure that out, that, um, it is madness. And I remember the, how important the church became to me, you know, the body, the, the people you spend life with, um, supporting each other and encouraging each other. That's what happened for us. And, uh, honestly for me and Lauren, my wife, we were struggling um, and then some people came alongside us and really encouraged us through that. Uh, you can look at each other and be like, wow, he's a workaholic, you know, things like that. But, you know, that might be your season too. And, you know, you might have the heart to try to um, spend more time at home. And maybe that's, you know, I'm just saying that it's not always pretty. So I just encourage you to uh, find time to spend uh, with, with the body and be encouraging to each other. So thank you. Thanks. Tony. How many of you can identify, yeah. How many of you can identify with what Tony's saying? You've been there, you've experienced it, maybe you're experiencing it now. Uh, life is inherently imbalanced. Tony, thank you for sharing from your, your perspective. And man, I, I'm, I know Stephen always says this, he's our community group pastor. But what I hear from Tony and from Lauren is that it was believers coming together, not just on Sunday morning, but outside of Sunday morning, getting together and working through life with them. So I'd encourage you, uh, I know we already took up connection cards, but if you want information about community groups where you can do life together, where you can find that kind of support, I'll be back at the connection table. Stephen will be back there in a few minutes. Um, Get connected with other people in the body of Jesus Christ. And share what's going on. Let them know. Let them into your lives. Be vulnerable. Mary was vulnerable when she approached Jesus. Be vulnerable and share those things because it's in those moments that you're able to receive the help that you need. And and God will speak either through his word or through someone in your group to help you find what, what it is he would have you do. So thank you, Tony, very much for sharing.